Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. Uh, you are joined as always by me and John Venerable. We're your co-host tonight. My name is Blake Murphy and we're here to talk Cardinals football. Cardinals actually a winner this week. They now have a one and four record. They're no longer the only winless team in the NFL. Now join a myriad of other one and four teams, uh, but we'll get to the Cardinals in a second. First off, John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Blake. It's it's technically a victory Tuesday. We're recording on a Tuesday night, but uh, it means uh, no less than a victory Monday in regards to a, a team that didn't look like they'd score their first win anytime soon and was able to pull that out on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. No, this is a, I guess the way that you could describe that I saw most fans are talking about it was, it was a win, but I, I think back to some of those first early wins where you think of, I think the Lions win in 2012, where they had been losing games forever. And they just went and kind of won that game. It was a huge emotional turn. Thinking about with Bruce Arians, his first win, I think it was also against the Lions. Um, just looking back at some of the different years, this did not have the same type of feeling or appeal as a lot of those others wins, John. I guess we can get into some of the stats, but the game was not pretty at all. And it doesn't make you feel that confident about this team the rest of the season as far as how much actual progress has been made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, if you look at what the Niners were trotting out offensively, that is probably the equivalent outside of, you know, Joe Staley at left tackle. That's probably the equivalent of a preseason four offense that the Niners were uh, showcasing on Sunday against the Cardinals. And the Cardinals had trouble stopping them in the first half. They gave up six points on the opening drive, uh, and it looked like it could be a long day, and it was the turnovers that eventually doomed the Niners. But, I mean, they had the advantage in time of possession. They had the advantage in total yardage. Uh, C.J. Beathard outplayed Josh Rosen, which you'd never thought I'd probably ever say. But well, uh, outside they, of one specific area, at least. <laughs> yeah, yes, the turnovers, the turnovers were key. But the, the effectiveness specifically of their ground game, and this has been – 
something that's plagued the Cardinals for the first quarter of the season. They just can't stop the run right now. Uh, another monster game for the opponent. Not, the Niners ended up with about 147 yards rushing, uh, 4.3 yards per carry. Uh, Matt Breda uh, looked like he was going to have a monster game. Uh, had, was averaging seven yards per carry, ended the game with 56 yards, but then subsequently got injured. You know, I don't know the status of his injury, but I know that he probably would have laid about 150 on the Cardinals had he stayed healthy the entire game. Um, and C.J. Beathard, for his credit, uh, I think has absolutely played himself into the backup role for the Niners moving forward. Clearly has a, a sound understanding of Kyle Shanahan's offensive scheme. Uh, but I think this more says more about just the Cardinals' defense, their inability right now. And I know they got the takeaways, but their inability right now to stop the run, whether it's personnel, whether it's scheme, it's a cause for concern. And then on the flip side, um, offensively, outside of the first – uh, play of the game for the Cardinals, a 75-yard bomb from Rosen to Christian Kirk, which made everybody giddy in hopes that this would be a breakout game for the offense. Even though they scored 28 points, it really wasn't. Rosen was a pedestrian, 10 of 25, 170 yards, did have a touchdown, and probably had a couple drops. So his, um, his rating was affected by that. David Johnson, 3.1 yards per carry, which is just criminal. Um, Christian Kirk, I, I thought would have a big game. I thought he would explode for over 100 yards and the touchdown did get to 85 in that TD. But after that long 75-yard bomb, only had 10 yards additionally. And then their major drop-off uh, to the number two receiver, Larry Fitzgerald, with only 35 yards. The Cardinals offensively are just a bad team right now. They're going to remain poor, uh, especially when you consider the Niners are not great defensively. And they were only mu- able to muster up you know, that kind of offensive production uh, just imagine what's going to happen when they play, you know, the likes of Minnesota and some of these better teams defensively on paper uh, in the in the coming weeks. You know, we're, we're, we're critical of this team right now because of the, the way they play. They did get a win. and But I, I viewed that game as a must win anyway because you can't lose to C.J. Mm-hmm. Beathard and, and that, that offense. You just can't do it. So I, I felt comfortable – throughout the, the duration of the first three quarters, but then the fourth quarter got a little tricky, especially when the Niners made their run. Uh, but uh, a couple Aaron throws by C.J. Beathard changed that. And really most teams in the NFL with today's rule changes are going to be able to capitalize on that short of a field. So we'll see what this means moving forward if there is, in fact, momentum with this team. I don't foresee that being the case, especially with Minnesota um, coming in hungry and looking great against Philadelphia. The Cardinals right now, just they don't have the personnel – They've got too much up in the air in terms of, you know, what they're sacrificing offensively as they continue to employ Mike McCoy. And then Steve Wilkes, uh, I, you know, you watch him in the locker room in the post game, and you, may, and you say to yourself, wow, this guy's really easy to root for. It's clear that the Cardinals, um, for the most part, believe in him. But at the same time, does he have the capability to lead this team long term and to improve week in and week out? The Cardinals uh, entering the third quarter of this game Um, had only scored a maximum of 17 points per game, or excuse me, had a maximum of 17 points uh, total of of a, you know, a game high uh, coming into this contest. Didn't score um, particularly well uh, until the second half where they got a plethora of turnovers. Still haven't scored in the third quarter this season. Uh, You just can't, you can't continue to employ Mike McCoy if you want to have long-term success. You mentioned it on Twitter a few times, Blake. Is he have a chance to, to, to potentially derail Rosen's rookie season and, and stun his growth? 
Yeah, I think that the biggest question you'd have as far as for stunting Rosen's growth would be based around the offensive line and then also based around the lack of when you're talking about having the targets like you would have with, you know, with Kirk and Johnson, you're in a spot where you're not utilizing Larry Fitzgerald the best way that he he's in the same slot role, but you're not really throwing the ball to him. And there's a whole myriad of reasons, at least, at least for why the Cardinals are struggling. Like you're talking about how the team is effectively, um, people have pointed this out before, putting it on Rosen's back where they're getting into consistent third and long situations. He's having to kind of be able to make up for some of that. He was under quite a bit of pressure yesterday from the interior where there were times he wasn't able to fully step into throws. Other times he had a clean pocket, was sending over guys. And some of that I think is also recognizes that it might be that when you look at the likes of Goff and look at the likes of you know some of these other quarterbacks who have had difficult rookie years. I think Peyton Manning obviously leading the NFL and breaking quite a few records with the number of interceptions that he threw come into that play of you can easily overcome a rough and difficult first year if the talent is that good. I do firmly believe that Josh Rosen is that good. I do also think though that you're not going to really be able to see a chance to have him develop or grow as quickly if you're not being able to surround him with the right amounts of the right amount of talent in it being used wisely. A great example of that obviously is in David Johnson. We see the entire week of, you know, the Steve Kime comes out, has a, Steve Wilkes even goes and says, a talk about we want to make sure that we can get David Johnson the ball more. Talking about we want to make sure that we can throw the ball to him more. We see two receptions for 16 yards. He was targeted, I believe, um, what was that? three times only three targets and in the rushing game he has 18 carries for 55 yards you can take a look even I believe it's under some of the next gen stats they showed what David Johnson's breakdown looked like you look at what his routes and how he ran and everything was spread out they split him all over the field inside outside doing all sorts of end arounds just getting him into space and you take a look at the game plan against the Niners it was literally every single run was straight up the middle and then there's one kind of swing pass out on the outside where he was tracked down you can even take a look at just other steps of the offense, like the swing pass in third and seven to Christian Kirk. What a lot of the people, including with Summers and some of the other AZ beat writers have talked about was, it just feels like the Niners almost knew what was coming. And I even think about it in the second half of how that played in for where most of the play calls in the third quarter could see coming a mile away. Look into the fourth quarter where it was kind of the pressure was on. And I believe it was on the second and I think it was a second and 10 after a run was knocked down short and Mike McCoy went play action on second down and I was like wow I think this is the first time that I've seen him go play action in the entire second half of a game in which he went play action off of the first play for a 70 yard 75 yard touchdown so I think what people are starting to kind of make up their mind is you know usually what we talked about was maybe you give Mike McCoy three games or so give it the benefit of the doubt most of the people who are kind of you know Pater, at least no, maybe more football in this case, they're starting to just turn that around to the point where some are even commenting and saying, look, it doesn't seem logical, at least for how kind of stubborn it would have to be to not make some of these different changes. So they're almost kind of having to kind of create excuses like this is not a logical thing that human would do. So perhaps David Johnson's running the wrong routes. Perhaps this is happening. He, he's not running enough routes to be able to run the wrong ones as part of it. But I think what you're at least seeing right now is an offense of when you're talking about how the Niners had, I believe like we've got the numbers even here for it, 349 yard passing to CJ Beathard, which is 
kind of for one thing is crazy and for one thing it makes sense why you'd have the five turnovers but what's even crazy is you're looking at the total yardage that was at least given up it's about 474 yards of offense to a team that has a third string running back their backup quarterback a lot of their entire offensive line was nicked up it was just an area where you saw some flashes we'll get to some of those about what some of the positives were but overall it felt like it was not a revival it was more of more of the same of what we've expected and was even more disappointing because it was against a poor opponent that you knew you should have beaten on the road but going into that fourth quarter I think the biggest difference and this is maybe the biggest plus I think you can at least agree John that we've seen this year from the Cardinals has been their special teams despite a few misses obviously from Phil Dawson has been overall solid and it's not a detractor like it was the Niners this year their special teams is actually rated lower than Arizona's it's a detractor. They missed an extra point right up from the front, and it turned into having to make a two-point conversion in the fourth quarter. If they made that in that kick in the very first quarter when they're making their comeback off of that long, I believe it was 50-yard run by George Kittle, they could tie the game. It's 14-14. Play calling might be totally different. You might be talking about, you know, the Niners actually having some momentum and putting pressure on Arizona with that swing. Uh, instead, missed a two-point conversion. Chandler Jones knocks it down. And that kind of is what seemed to break the back of the Niners, and the game went over after that next turnover for Arizona's favor. Yeah, crazy to think the Cardinals had superior special teams uh, after what we've seen over the course of the last four years. But they did, in fact, play well uh, in that unit. Andy Lee continues to be a revelation for this team. Imagine mm-hmm. where they'd be had they had him during the, the Bruce Arians' heydays. Uh, NFC Championship game, what have you. Um, he's just been fantastic. Uh, Phil Dawson, four for four on extra points, didn't have to kick a field goal, so we still don't know if he's capable of making uh, said field goals. And I know the Cardinals have brought in uh, a couple kickers for uh, a tryout this week, so we'll see if anything comes of that. But, you know, I want to turn the, uh, your attention, Blake, to the defensive side of the game and, and look at a couple individuals that I thought played particularly well. Buda Baker. 16 total tackles, 11 solo, one sack, and and two and a half tackles for loss. If there's a bright spot defensively for the Cardinals, I think it's to play the secondary, specifically Baker and Patrick Peterson, are having what I believe to be Pro Bowl seasons. Uh, You know Steve Wilkes, his background is in that secondary. So, again, the Cardinals may struggle at times defensively, but I think that unit, to me, is probably exceeding expectations right now. And, again, part of that is – that the Cardinals are so inept against the run right now. The teams aren't throwing uh, all that often. Uh, But again, you you talk about Buda excelling right now, Patrick Peterson, Ben Wickery looks like he is going to be uh, a real player for the Cardinals. If they can get him locked up uh, past this season, he's a young guy uh, that I think has a chance to really contribute to this franchise. You, You look about, you think about his background, Former fifth-round pick in 2014, so he's still relatively young at 27. I believe he's on a one-year contract. be interesting if, if he starts the entire season. Uh, again, great size, six foot around 190, 195. Uh, I could see him either getting an extension with the Cardinals or the Cardinals getting a nice comp pick for him after this season. But, you know, you think about Jamal Taylor, who's – I guess kind of an afterthought at this point when you've got the flexibility of Baker in the slot. Uh, ben Wicker, William Peterson are obviously your outside corners. Trey Boston seems to be coming around defensively. So uh, that secondary for the Cardinals looks uh, exponentially better uh, now than it did on paper going into this season. Um, and then, again, uh, I thought Bynes and Reddick had an okay afternoon. They filled up the stat sheet. They both had a sack. Uh, it was just nice to see Hassan Reddick play uh right now we've got kind of a 
uh, a chaotic situation at linebacker. Bynes seems to be the only constant. Arthur Motes was just released today. Uh, and then you think about Daomi Buchanan didn't play one snap defensively for the Cardinals. If that doesn't tell you his status with the team, uh, I don't know what does. I would be shocked if he is not dealt before the trade deadline, if they're able to secure uh, any kind of compensation. He is a free agent to be. And uh, it's, it's just disappointing because to me, Blake, he looked like somebody for the Cardinals that I thought would be kind of a cornerstone player, made a lot of fans forget about the, the tru- troubles and trepidations that was the Daryl Washington saga. He comes in in 2014 and really is, is Kime's only immediate uh, impact draft pick and playing that hybrid safety role that kind of took the NFL by storm. And now he's basically an afterthought in this new scheme that was supposed to accentuate his talents. It really just doesn't add up. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I'd love to get Kimes perspective on this, but at the same time, I know Dayon put on additional weight to be able to take on this role. I wonder potentially is that jeopardizing his speed in any way? Uh, he just, he doesn't look like the same player when he's on the field. I know he's coming back from injury, but man, I would hate for the Cardinals to give up on him and it sure looks like they're going to, and he have success elsewhere. We've seen it time and time again with former Cardinals. Um, so I'll be positive here and talk about Hassan Reddick. I thought he played uh, relatively well. Uh, we'll talk about it, Blake, in depth, I think, you know, in the coming weeks, depending on how his playing time shakes out. Looks so comfortable rushing the passer, doing what he did well at Temple instead of being forced inside at this role he's never played before, similar to last year where the Cardinals did not sit him one place and let him be productive. Even if he's playing on the edge, that doesn't mean he can't be, you know, a a four-down player. He's exactly what a four-down player looks like, a three-down player, a four-down player. Two passes defended, a quarterback hit. He had that sack. He's got sacks and I believe, back-to-back weeks now. Uh, Looks like a player to me that if given the the opportunity to rush the passer consistently – I think could have 10 sacks in a season easily just based on his athleticism, uh, the way the NFL is trending more to, to individuals, you know, throwing more passes. I think Reddick could take advantage of that. Uh, and I think that right now with Marcus Golden's status up in the air for next season, I think you'd be best served seeing if you've got a potential uh, bookend edge rusher with Chandler Jones and Hassan Reddick. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to figure out his role because you look at how they've used him since he's come in as an inside linebacker with his size and his profile. Um, I've thought for a while that the closest comparison when I looked at him was a guy like Danielle Hunter at the, as with the Cardinals' next opponent with the Minnesota Vikings, a smaller kind of edge guy, but really was ultimately built kind of in a kind of in a laboratory, ultimately very similar to Son Reddick. What's tough is Reddick has not really been as much of an edge bender. We didn't see a whole lot of sacks or even some of the, the pressures his rookie year, but you saw a guy who played downhill, would get tackles for loss. Just kind of that guy who seems like it's a 4-3 linebacker. And like we said, the Cardinals compared him to Von Miller coming out and they've never played him in that type of a role. I think Steve Wilkes has started to figure some of that out. And I think what it means for that, obviously, is that Dan Buchanan is, like you're saying, going to be stepping back. Um, there's been some reports about the trade talks. I think for some of those, is you kind of take them as they will. Sometimes teams have a value that they want to get for a player versus what that is. But I think uh, the easiest thing as far as for the step back of what this defense is that that the Cardinals previously with the kind of uh, Todd Bowles and the James Betcher defense, their front defensive linemen weren't expected to be the ones making plays. They'd be kind of able to disengage in the run game, but often they would be responsible for holding and 
kind of maintaining the gaps that way the quick smaller linebackers like Buchanan would be able to kind of run through and then make those tackles it's part of the reason why they were successful in that 2015 season was because Dayon would be able to use that speed and explosive athleticism coming down to make those tackles and just looking at what's kind of changed it's that this is a defense where the defensive line is expected to be the ones who are kind of on their making plays, being able to maintain their gaps in the different games. And then the linebackers are expected to not just maintain gaps, but cover. And Dayon, his coverage has always been an area where it went kind of from a positive of him being able to kind of read and react to having to have multiple gaps or zones to the assignments. It takes a lot of mental work. And at his size, I was looking kind of reflecting a little bit back on some of the game that he played before he was kind of reduced to a bench role. And it was under Brandon Thorne. You can find him at, at veteran scout just showed up one of the breakdowns of Buchanan, basically like running, trying to kind of run around the outside of Trent Williams, like how he would do often in 2015 to tackle the running back. And it was like, he bounced off of Williams and just fell down like the, the sheer size of Williams. And it just yeah. dwarfed how Buchanan was. It just has me thinking that this is just not the right role on the right team and fit for him anymore. It's, a spot where some have mentioned he should go back to safety. I've never felt like his coverage skills have been there when they drafted him. He was much more of a kind of that strong safety Adrian Wilson type of a role, but the coverage skills just wasn't the same. So I think that you're right in that this might be a time where they look at potentially dealing him, especially when you consider that you might not get a big pick back for him. He's only on the, the last part of his contract, but if you at least know that you're going to be moving on, you can then kind of go into the 2019 season there. And I really hope that he does find success in the new world because he's a guy, he's still a really hard worker, but it's part of the change that at least happens and part of the reason why I had felt like that they hadn't given him a contract yet was he still needed to prove himself in this new defense and prove that the 2015 year was not a fluke. And uh, I, I think that's huge. Um, one other aspect, at least of the defense, I think that we can always look at as a positive in addition to Hassan Reddick, who again had a great day, was just the, the sheer day that Chandler Jones had. He had six tackles, two of them for loss, sack, forced a fumble, had a fumble recovery, and then had a pass deflection that changed the game. Like he, It seemed like he finally got adjusted into that new role. The question I would have, at least, is why then, as we're seeing Chandler Jones come into his own, we're seeing the safeties making the plays because they're not seeing it in the front seven. Robert Kimgichi was out with a foot. He still continues to fight through that foot injury. What do we have to make against this defense, specifically against their next competitor in the Minnesota Vikings? John, what are some of your thoughts, at least? And I've, I've taken a little bit of a look at the Vikings. This is not a run-the-football type of team. They were 32nd before this week in rushing, just ahead of the Cardinals. Now they're up ahead in 31st. So this is not a run-heavy team. Is this kind of a game that the Cardinals, maybe the defense might match up well with this offense? Or do you think that this is going to be another difficult game for Cardinals fans to, to watch for their team? Yeah, I think it could be a scenario in which their, their running game gets a boost because of the inept uh, run defense of the Cardinals. Real quick before I touch on that, Blake, I had missed this uh, about an hour ago. We're recording on a Tuesday night. Jason Lock and Four reporting that the Cardinals are stepping up their efforts to deal former first-round pick Dayon Buchanan as they realign and adjust from a slow start. Should be one of the more interesting teams by far ahead of the trade deadline. So take that for what you will. Uh, Lock and Fora apparently thinks the Cardinals are going to be active. And like we said, Blake, uh, Buchanan seems to be on the move. It's interesting when you think about the potential compensation for Dayon. Is it worth dealing him now for a sixth or a seventh round pick where you could potentially get higher in terms of a, of a comp pick 
uh, for 2020. And so it, you're going to have to weigh, would you rather have a sixth or seventh round pick next year or maybe as high as a fifth round comp pick, depending on if he could go maybe reunite with Todd Bowles with the Jets and get a nice contract there. I do think he's going to have a, a pretty good market. But back to your point about Minnesota, uh, I think the Cardinals – for them to be successful, they need all bodies on the field for this game in Minnesota. They need Robert yep. Kim <laughs> to play. They they clearly, I mean, when, when did you think we'd ever say this? They clearly miss Kim uh, against the Niners, that interior pass rush that they just don't have right now uh, without him. Olsen Pierre kind of has been uh, an irrelevant afterthought, I thought, with, with six sacks or five and a half sacks last year. Uh, at that D tackle position, I think he, I thought he would transition smoothly into the into his role with um, Steve Wilkes. That hasn't happened really. It's only been Kim Dietschy on that defensive line, along with Chandler Jones, that you've seen kind of an emergence. So they need him back. We'll see what we can get from Marcus Golden. But again, the offense for Minnesota, led by John DeFilippo, who I wish was running the Cardinals' offense right now, is really a spectacle to behold. Adam Thielen seemingly cannot be stopped. Uh, he is the first wide receiver ever in the history of the NFL to kick off a season with five straight 100-yard games. I, I, I had no idea that that was, even, that was even a statistic, <laughs> but he is on fire. He is torching secondaries at a, at a ridiculous rate right now. Um, but this team and did Stephon lose to – Diggs, too. Diggs is, I think, yeah. 90 yards at least in the last three games. I think it's the last three games in a row. I can check on that. But it's basically been the offense is running through the two of them. Rudolph is there. They've got Dalvin Cook back last week. It's interesting is that the Vikings actually have – I think that they're leading the league right now in – uh, running backs that have been stayed in to pass protect. So this is kind of a spot where the Vikings aren't even really running the football, and this is probably the biggest weakness that we can get into is their current offensive line is not really where it needs to be. They're going up against a Cardinals team that has uh, blitz-heavy packages and a decent pass rush. It's part of, I believe, why they've kept the running backs in a whole lot, and they're not running the, the ball many games. I think they're only like less than a yard or so averaging more than the Cardinals. But this is kind of what we can get into as far as with what Filippo has done with Kirk Cousins is almost in a lot of ways the antithesis of what we've had with Mike McCoy. And that was some of, I know, what we talked about before the hire of Steve Wilkes was even made and why we still really liked a guy like Flip. Yeah, absolutely. I think that just his innovation with Kirk Cousins clearly has elevated his game. Kirk is going to put up monster t- statistics this season, all career highs. Uh, and I think a lot of us thought there'd be a transition period with a new offensive scheme with somebody like Kirk Cousins, who's shown to be sometimes limited in what he does. Uh, some of his numbers in the past may have rang hollow. Not this season. He has got 11 touchdowns, just two interceptions and uh, is leading one of the best aerial attacks in football. Uh, I think the biggest thing to focus on in this game really is that defense of Minnesota that played well against Philadelphia last week against the inept Cardinal offense. Uh, I I fear that this could be a game that we talk about as one of those early kind of building block hurdle games for Josh Rosen where it's just going to be tough to have success. Now, this defense has given up uh, uncharacteristically a lot of points to start this season – but last week, it looks like they got a little bit of their mojo back uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles. So pass protection, I think, is going to be key. The Cardinals quietly uh, have given up less sacks than, I think, about a third of the league. So they're doing a nice job in limiting the amount of hits Josh Rosen's taking in terms of going to the ground. Uh, specifically, DJ Humphreys, I want to note something from Pro Football Focus. Did not give up a single pressure against the Niners at his best day of the year, 78.4 pass blocking grade. And so it looks like, fingers crossed, as long as he stays healthy, 
Uh, DJ Humphreys looks to be the answer long-term at left tackle for the Arizona Cardinals. It's going to be up against a uh, tough test this week against the Minnesota Vikings front uh, with the likes of Anthony Barr, with a lot of great players. Sheldon Richardson, who I wish the Cardinals would have gone after this offseason. Uh, the nine, or the, excuse me, the Vikings got him and just slides, you know, next to Daniel Hunter and Linville Joseph on that defensive line. Eric Kendricks is somebody that I badly wanted the Cardinals to take out of UCLA a couple years ago. He's a really nice player. Harrison Smith right now may be the best free safety in football, depending on who you ask. And then great corners in Xavier Rhodes and and Trey Waynes. Mike Hughes was their first-round pick. He's been impressive. So they've just got talent. Uh, They may have the deepest roster in the NFL along with maybe – uh, the LA Rams. This is a team right now that's, I think, going to start playing better after their slow start. You know, go through a couple ch- uh, coaching changes, and and that'll do it to you. Ask the Cardinals how that's going. But right now, if the Cardinals to be successful in this game, they're going to have to figure out how to run the football. I don't know how that's possible against this front, and they're going to have to find a way to pass protect uh, against that fearsome uh, front seven for Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely, John. Uh, Coming up here next in the Bird Game Blitz, we'll continue to preview the Vikings-Cardinals game. We'll also get a little bit into Josh Rosen's performance, and we'll talk about the coaching staff. We've talked a lot about it with Mike McCoy. You know that it's time for him to go. Should we be considering about talking about Steve Wilkes potentially leaving the Cardinals at the end of the season as well? That's next here on the Bird Game Blitz. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. We're back here on the Bird Gang Blitz podcast, our last segment of the night. So, John, I want to continue to talk a little bit more just about with what we've seen from the Vikings and the Cardinals. Um, The Vikings right now are the overall, I believe, uh, this is for obviously with uh, end of week five, but they're the third overall passing team in the league. They're the 31st overall when you're talking about rushing. They are not a running the football type team, not just because of their offensive line, but they've been struggling at least with injuries. What's most interesting, at least when you take a look at them, is how when they match up on the defensive side, they're not that great overall in terms of passing yards. Like they're, the, the past defense that you looked at and saw last year from the Vikings has just not been there this year. They've had a lot of high-scoring games so far this year. And maybe some of that's the new NFL and the NFL rules. But 
usually you would expect at least to have a, a bit of that defense carry over. So it might be that there's some room for Rosen to be able to work. The Cardinals are actually ranked as the 13th rated pass defense, which you can take it for what it's worth. You've got guys in the backfield like uh, Peterson, obviously, Bethea, Buda Baker, and then Ben Eben Wickery teaming up outside of the Rams game where they were basically passing all over the Cardinals completely focused on the run you really have not seen a defense be able to go for a lot of it the passing yards that CJ Beathard had were a couple of bigger plays to Kittle and mostly just the fact that they ran 92 offensive plays which is I believe the most in uh, I don't know if it was the most in Niner history but it's like one of the top three all time as far as for offensive plays that have been ran which is just it shows just how inept a lot of the Cardinals offenses as well as how the defense just kept getting beat up all the time. I, I think back to that first quarter where the defense that Steve Wilkes had called was aggressive, got upfield. And so they just called a quick fullback screen and they called a quick running back screen. And they just kept doing the same play, driving down the field for seven plays, took about five minutes off the clock. And it was like, they kept doing the same thing because the Cardinals did not have the capability to stop it. And I'm just going to be kind of curious here when they're matching up against a team that, you know, is not that great against the pass. What's interesting to me is, and even though we know the Cardinals are not great against the run, the Vikings against the run have been kind of middle of the pack. Like, you're not talking about a team that's ranked in the top 10. You're not talking about a team that's ranked in the bottom third of the league. The Vikings have been a team that, and part of this is it's reflected in their 2-2-1 two, two record. This isn't probably one of the elite NFL teams you're playing but it is a very great and effective offense. And part of the reason for that, obviously, is DiFilippo. Um, you do a quick Google search, at least for stuff right now. Some of the things that pop up, DiFilippo is saving us from the offensive line from Vikings fans. Or the ones of uh, John DiFilippo's creativity helped the Vikings win in Philly. The Vikings did not have a run game, but DiFilippo's commitment was to use small swing passes to kind of replicate or replace the running game, get guys out in space, pick up a couple of yards, kind of split aside the defense where they had to keep playing down closer to the box for some of those passing plays that opened it up for the deeper passing throws. And his offense has been predicated on getting the ball to his best players, which are Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. I guess if you wanted to put it this way, then, John, then John Filippo is probably what we'd call the anti-Mike McCoy in that sense. What are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I echo all your thoughts, Blake. He's somebody that's super aggressive. He's innovative. You talk about that coaching tree with Doug Peterson and just how respected they are around the league, very analytic-driven. They take chances, go for it on fourth down. They don't defer to punting on the the opponent's opposite side of the 50, something that just the Cardinals right now don't have in their building. I tweeted this out this week. I stand by it. I believe in Steve Wilkes. I think I generally want him to be successful, but I just I can't see him sticking with the Cardinals long-term if he doesn't find and embrace an, off, an innovative offensive mind. We look at what's happening in Chicago with Trubisky and, and how well that team is being really elevated past their talent level, I believe, because of Matt Nagy. And uh, he, comes, he comes, of course, from the Andy Reid tree of coaching. And so you get these quality coaches, and not all of them are going to work out long-term. Not everybody's Sean McVay. But even Sunday, Blake, the likes of Kyle Shanahan putting together a very respectable game plan that, frankly, gashed the Cardinals defensively. And if it wasn't for five turnovers, they may have won that game. You you can tell when you watch a game, you use what's called the eye test and see, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Bruce Arians had that quality where, you know, it may not have worked every Sunday – but, you know, he made Drew Stanton and Blaine Gabbert look way better than they actually were. And now we've got the 10th overall pick, you know, 
out there on Sunday with, I think, a pretty good complement of offensive weapons. And the Cardinals are just so inept. It's it's uber frustrating for uh, this team to be kind of left out of the offensive, you know, explosion that's taking place within the league. They're on pace to break that, that being the rest of the NFL, on pace to break all kinds of offensive records, more points scored through five games in the history of the NFL. Um, it's just it's just really frustrating because we talked about it in the spring that the Cardinals probably needed to go with an offensive-minded coach. We were concerned about the McCoy hire from day one. And it looks like at the end of the day, uh, I think he's probably going to be gone after the season, uh, barring something unforeseen. Uh, it would be tough, I think, for Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime to force Steve Wilkes into firing Mike McCoy because I believe I believe Steve Wilkes has a lot of confidence still and a lot of uh, respect for Mike McCoy. And to fire somebody midseason, I mean, what took place in Denver last year, that was all John Elway. John Elway was basically like, I've seen enough. I'm not sold on this guy. He is known to be reactionary. And so I don't believe that was the the – the likes of Denver's coach who himself is on the hot seat. Uh, I, I think, I think that that was John Elway basically saying this guy can't coach in the NFL anymore. And so of course the Cardinals bring him in and he's reaffirmed, you know, the national media's perspective of him that he's super cautious that his offense belongs, you know, 15 years ago. And he just, he doesn't stack up to these creative offensive minds that we're seeing around the league, even Cleveland, you know, we give the Browns a lot of grief, but I think that they're one of the more watchable, products right now because yes they have a lot of quality players that they've they've achieved through the draft based on you know their poor performance over the years but they've got Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley I mean I would just take one of those two as the Cardinals offensive coordinator both have been successful you know you know me Blake I push for Haley back in the offseason he just he produces everywhere he goes sure he's unconventional but you know if you watch him on hard knocks you don't have to worry about him ever becoming a head coach again I think he could have been the equivalent of what the Rams have with Wade Phillips defensively, where you know you're going to get a, a well-respected mm. mind in, in his craft who's been a head coach before, who's had success, but you know is never going to leave to be a head coach. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I think Todd Haley would have been a perfect fit to come back and, and reunite with this, with this organization. I think that they would, he would have gotten serious consideration had he not had the incident outside that bar that became public. Uh, which is unfortunate because I think that I think it could have been a really good match. And instead we're, we're in a position where every week we're discussing the ineptitude of this offense that leads right back to Mike McCoy. Yeah. And a lot of that is what's most painful. I think is when you look at what Rosen has done, especially in the deep passing game off of play action, you look at the drops in the areas that have happened. If you, uh, there's not been that many deep passing plays he's had of probably you'd say at least of the maybe 20 yards or more. But when he has had those, he's basically been so on the money that the passes are perfectly placed. Like you're talking about a level and degree of difficulty that a lot of pro NFL quarterbacks are not able to like to be able to make. That's part of why when we talked about, you know, him being at a certain caliber level already, at least I still think that he's got a ways to go. We saw some of the inaccuracies and some of the other spots and, quarterbacks in their first road start when they're rookies the expectation is usually that they'll perform about how well Rosen did the, the biggest difference is you don't really expect that you're going to have a 
held back in the running game by Mike McCoy being held back by not taking more deep shots despite San Francisco having a terrible secondary. It was just a very – the best way you can think of it is almost as soon as the Cardinals get up to a certain amount of points, it feels like they kind of shut down and start to be conserved. Now, I think what we have to talk about then is, is that still coming from Wilkes of just like, all right, we don't want to take any deep shots because we don't want to turn the ball over. I, I have made a joke at least for that. If the, if the Cardinals' best chance of winning is for their defense to force turnovers, and of course they're going to get the offense off the field to put the defense back on. But what we're seeing at least right now from Rosen is a rookie quarterback who is having a lot of success in the deep passing game. They're dialing it up on the deep passing game, but they're not continually going back to it. And in the second half, what I think we can talk about is with the adjustments and people say this nationally, the Cardinals don't seem to be making a lot of second half adjustments. It seemed to be just doing the same type of whatever the plays were running previously. They're just running those plays again. There's nothing that they're trying to dial up or anything that's different or new. And that's part of why they've not scored at all in the third quarter is if you're running the same plays you already ran in the first quarter that was successful the defense sees them reacts the same way it's not going to succeed the fourth quarter what we saw was the Niners started to come back and I honestly did believe at least even people are saying that this oh Niners start to coming back they're about to tie this game they're going this long touchdown drive uh, make the two-point conversion away from tying the game back up and instead you end up seeing the fumble that's returned and it's just an area where when you're talking about the offense of Mike McCoy, I think we've kind of reached a, a crux of this point where a lot of how fans I think will feel about not just this, not just their team this year, but I think about the organization as a whole, there's a lot of confidence kind of riding on their owner, their general manager and head coach to make the right decision to recognize that when you're 32nd in the league, and you're not seeing changes or improvement or adapting despite the fact that you're asking for it and making the path clear, you have to just basically move on. I think the big question is going to be if they don't move on from him in the, like the bye week or after the next San Francisco game, when do you decide to move on from him? And when then would you end up winning another game? Because I, I did not know if they were going to win a game with Mike McCoy as their offensive coordinator this year. They won one with the defense being in place. John, what are your thoughts at least about what are we going to get at least as far as for the Cardinals if Mike McCoy's here the whole season? And what, what can we really expect from this team if we're sitting here, you know, week 17 and Mike McCoy is still the offensive coordinator? Well, I, I agree with you. I think if they would have lost that game Sunday, which I called last week a must-win because it really was, um, mm -hmm. when you're facing the likes of Minnesota this week, uh, I think Denver is uh, fully capable of coming to University of Phoenix Stadium uh, on October 18th and, and putting it on Arizona. Uh, now you do get the Niners again on the 28th of October, uh, but that could be it. Um, yeah, you, mm -hmm. you, get the, you get the Raiders, but again, they have, uh, I, and what I believe a superior head coach right now, a superior quarterback, uh, and some, some quality offensive weapons. Uh, the end of the season looks absolutely brutal. The Chargers are in playoff contention. I think there'll be a playoff team. The Packers, we all assume, will be a playoff team. The Lions have two wins this year. It's against the Patriots and the Packers. The Falcons have the best offense, in my opinion, in, in football. The Rams, again, who put a shellacking on you, 34-0. And then you end the season at Seattle, which I, I don't think the Cardinals will win. So I think there, there could be a scenario in which you sweep San Francisco based purely on the fact that they just don't have the talent to succeed. Uh, that Those could be your only two wins. The NFL is funny where, you know, you, you could get a win here or there that you're not expected to. Maybe they beat the Raiders at home. Maybe they challenge San Diego in – or excuse me – the L.A. Chargers in L.A. just because the, the Chargers can be funny like that. 
the Lions is always competitive at the at University of Phoenix Stadium or State Farm Stadium now. Um, so there are some scenarios. I think this team, probably best case scenario with Mike McCoy at the helm, defense wins them a couple games like they did uh, this weekend. They start to. I always believe that the defense will play better toward the end of the year because guys will be comfortable in the roles, mm-hmm. health permitting. Uh, I think the Cardinals get to four wins. I said before the season I thought this was a four or five win team, but I thought they would be a four or five win team ascending much to the, to the to the likes of San Francisco last year. I'm not sure about that now. I think they could win, obviously, last weekend, the 28th against the 49ers, uh, maybe the 18th against the Raiders. That could be it. I mean, you could look at potentially ending the season – on a five-game losing streak just because the, the schedule is brutal. We talked about it before the season. Uh, people who, who thought this team could potentially compete for a playoff berth quickly were silenced when they saw that latter half of the schedule. So if Byron Leftwich takes over at the bye, which I believe is after um, the San Francisco game, uh, so you're talking about right before you go play at the Chiefs, Right now, the Chiefs are one of the <laughs> oh best teams wow. in the league. Um, if, if that were to happen, I think that it could give them a spark and they could be competitive enough to win two or three games down the stretch. Generally, when there's a coaching change, the team plays expi- inspired. That, that coach tends to take more risk because that's what the front office wants. Maybe we'd see a better downfield passing attack. I, I don't want to say maybe we would with Leftwich at the helm. And I think they wouldn't have to. You, you really can't get like much worse than what oh you're my God. Boy, you get. You really can't. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think that there's part of Steve Kime that wants to see what Byron Leftwich can do with this team before he gets in the offseason. Because if and when McCoy's fired, Leftwich will get an interview, but we really haven't seen him put a plan in place to, to, to call plays and to take it to that next level perfect time to do that is in the second half of this season. So I'm hopeful that takes place. I thought the Cardinals had, they lost this game this past week purely because of the offense, he would have been fired. I think it would have been a fireable offense. It might have been. It might have been. I think that because they, they scored 28 points by default, that was basically led by the defense. He bought himself another week, but I I do think he's coaching week to week to save his job. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I think the biggest key we'll be looking at, you've got a game against the Vikings this Sunday. It's a road start. You got your rookie quarterback. You are not able to really stop the run. You got a, you know, an offensive coordinator who honestly, at least with the Cardinals, we, we talked about bringing him in as an offensive coordinator. Now, some people had wondered if there was kind of already a prearranged deal and that was part of why the Cardinals did he turn down Arizona. Did he? they decide to go with Mike McCoy? I firmly believe with the way that they've talked about and described it that part of the package, at least with Wilkes and some other of these rookie young coaches, was bringing a Mike McCoy in who'd been a previous head coach and had experience. I think what we've kind of learned and have seen from some of that is you need to kind of focus on quality and also find the right fit. Um, one of the other things you need to look at, and this is one of the areas we can, I think, discuss as we get into Wilkes next, just before we kind of uh, tie up with our, our game preview on the, on the way out the door but when you look at Wilkes mentor and kind of his uh I guess the guy who was really advocated from the most in Ron Rivera Rivera was basically in essence Steve Wilkes as far as his conservatism and his coaching decisions like you'd see punting on fourth and one when you're down some of these very really conservative decisions uh, almost Jason Garrett like decisions as we've seen from this week but when the rumors came out and it was about to get fired he went and completely changed his entire approach 
you even made note of it as far as where he changed his name to Riverboat Ron as a result because he started taking more risks. And so he was like, no, I'm not taking risks. I'm taking more calculated ones. It was almost like he realized what I'm currently doing is not working. What I need to do is basically change a bit of who I am, change some of my philosophy around for that one because otherwise he was going to basically get let go. And when he started seeing that success, players started buying in. He ended up realizing, okay, so here's really what I need to do is not to abandon who I am with being able to have these decisions, but I have to pursue what is going to win and be willing to adapt and mold. So I think that'll be the question I have. John, have, have you seen that type of aspect so far in Steve Wilkes? Because from my perspective, I think we've seen small baby steps, but it's more been on the defense adjusting to his scheme and playing. Maybe you could talk about with Hassan Reddick and some of it, but have you seen any signs at least for that of the type of adjustment? Or are we going to be kind of talking a little bit about how this is a team that went in and is kind of maybe regretting passing on a guy like Filippo at least right now. And, and to make matters even worse, I'll even go further and say with Pat Shermer, because with Pat Shermer, he was hired by the Giants. I think part of what the Cardinals and maybe even Steve Kime wanted to do was to bring in Shermer and one of those Minnesota quarterbacks, whether it was Bradford probably, maybe even Case Keenum, seeing the lure of them, kind of that type of stability outside of a rookie quarterback. Maybe they weren't as aware of it, but overall, these are just kind of these, some conservative decisions we're seeing from these coaches. Have, have you seen enough hope as far as changes, or is this going to be kind of a spot where we get to the end of the season and there are serious doubts about Steve Wilkes' ability to adapt and to be able to change who he is? Well, I think there'll be doubts and question marks from a national perspective. I, I don't think it'll shake the Cardinals' confidence in Steve Wilkes uh, because this is a long-term play. I know fans want blood. They want, you know, coaches to be held accountable, and they should. But that doesn't mean Steve Wilkes needs to lose his job at 1-4. and four. And I, I've been critical of a lot of facets of his, you know, coaching game thus far. Uh, but I love the hire at the time, and as did you, Blake. And I still think he has a chance to succeed uh, long-term with this team if he embraces an innovative offensive coach following this season. Maybe that's Brian Leftwich and he gets lucky and he can go into 2019 with his OC already in place and, and the Cardinals are ready to rock and roll. Uh, I think he is somebody that a year from now we'll be talking about one of the best defensive minds in all of the NFL, assuming he still has his position, which I expect him to. Uh, but really, it's an offensive league. It's an offensive league, and no matter how many great defensive players that you have uh, and how great of a ways your, your defensive head coach may be, the game is trending toward offense because that's what you know puts fans in front of their television. Fantasy football is a huge proponent in, in increasing the amount of offense that you've seen around the league. And so I always just thought it made more sense to go with an offensive guy. But, you know, I also thought to myself, okay – I consider John Harbaugh to be a successful NFL coach, head coach. He's won a Super Bowl. He's a special teams, former special teams coordinator. You know, what is Mike Tomlin speci you know, specifying now or specializing now? You know, if, if a guy's a great motivator and can get the best out of his team, hopefully he's able to kind of dabble in all positions. Does he call plays? No. Is he innovative and, and aggressive like Bruce Arians? Not yet. But hopefully a year from now we're talking about the growth that we've seen from this team in a lot of different areas, and, and we can point back to Steve Wilkes as a big you know, proponent of that. But right now he looks like somebody that we've touched on for weeks, super, super dependent on his offensive coordinator to make major decisions. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the, the Rosen change was 
his decision alone. I think Mike McCoy probably said, all right, it's time to get Josh some, some reps. Isn't it crazy that the Cardinals really were once passed up by Mike McCoy for uh, the mm-hmm. head coaching job? I, I think they were supposed oh, to yeah. interview him, and he kind of spurned the team. And then the Cardinals went with Bruce Arians, and thank God they did. But it's just like, you know, I, I don't understand this fascination with Mike McCoy, but I do think, again, that Wilkes has a lot of respect for him. But I also think that, that there is a precedent within the NFL that if you've been a head coach and at any point, no matter if you've had success or not, and Mike McCoy had marginal success in San Diego. He also had Phillip Rivers and a lot of good talent. Um, but at the same time, why do we consist on continually recycle these former head coaches and, and give them kind of coordinator positions by default? There's a reason that they lose their jobs in the first place. And then you see these teams like the Rams and the Vikings and the Eagles embrace innovative offensive minds. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're a little bit younger and they get second guess initially, and then they have great success. And, you know, we're over here recycling the Mike McCoys of the world. And I think it's, it's something that Steve Wilkes has got to say, you know what, I'm going to have to, to get with the program, step outside the mold a little bit if I want to have a long-term career in the NFL because you've got a franchise quarterback. I firmly believe that. You've got, I think, a solid group of offensive skill players when you're talking about David Johnson, Christian Kirk. I still think Chad Williams can be effective. Uh, and then but you've got potentially now your, your franchise left tackle. That's, a, that's, that's better than a lot that's of teams lot. have. That's much better than a lot of teams have. And so it, by only have scored 65 points this far this season, yeah. it's just – it's completely unacceptable. It's embarrassing. And at the end of the day, you got to be able to correct your, your mistake. And the one thing I love about Steve Kime is he is – he's not reactionary, but he's somebody that says, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to move on. Jonathan Cooper can't stay healthy. It's time to get him out of town. Clearly – What's happening with, with Hassan Reddick, they've talked about potentially moving him in a trade. I think it would be a mistake. But if, if a guy can't play, he can't play. Hopefully at some point Steve Kime intervenes and says, Steve, meaning Steve Wilkes, we like you. <laughs> we, think, we think you're going to have success with this long term, but we got to do something offensively different here. And then maybe you go into that next week and you tell Mike McCoy, you either be more aggressive, show us some innovation, or you're gone and, and you're, you're coaching on a week-to-week basis. And, uh, and we see how, if and when he can adapt. And if he can't, then you make a change. I think that's, I think that's mm-hmm. something that hopefully is coming, Blake. Yeah, I, I think at least for right now, it feels like that it's almost an inevitability because of how poor it's looking because you just can't keep having this type of offensive performance and sell that to fans to say, oh, no, we're going to finish the season with him. We have confidence with him. And then every single week to have it come out and have the same part, especially when you consider that when you're looking at the Cardinals schedule, if you make the change after your Thursday night football game against the Broncos, the Broncos defense has really dynamically struggled this year and their offense has been fine. Keenum hasn't been the greatest quarterback, at least as far as playing but it's it's a spot at least where you're playing a not great Broncos team after you have the Minnesota Vikings on a short week that gives you 10 days to prepare for the Niners guess where the Niners are they're a bad team you get to prepare for them at home and then after that you've got the entire bye week at least you have to have another couple of days off before you can play the Chiefs who are the worst uh, I believe is the worst passing defense in the NFL right now so you're talking about a really advantageous opportunity with the schedule kind of being in your favor, a lot of time to be able to work them in. If they decide not to move ahead with them, then it's going to, I think, really reflect poorly. Um, 
one thing I want to touch on with the coaching staff, at least, is when you're looking about the Cardinals with how few points they've scored and you look at the talent like you talked about, you look at a team like the Tennessee Titans, who Marcus Mariota has been just average for the most part. Their defense has been fine. They're running game. They've had injuries and other aspects. They even have had Blaine Gabbert starting games for them this year. But you take a look at what their coaching staff has done with a defensive head coach who was aggressive and I believe went for on fourth down and I believe it was like at least a foot or on fourth down three consecutive times on the same drive. Got all three of the fourth downs. You know, you talk about some of the risk that you have with each of those, but right now the Tennessee Titans are three and two. They're tied with the Jaguars who a lot of people thought would be world beaters. You've got a defensive head coach who's still making a lot of those different choices and risks and is still being creative enough with their offense to be able to favor, even with having to rotate through multiple quarterbacks. Their offensive coordinator, uh, I believe it was actually um, Chris, uh, no, it was my, I believe it was Mike LaFleur or Chris LaFleur. I'll have to look up and see, but uh, Matt LaFleur, that's it. He was a guy who's kind of had success everywhere he's gone with the quarterbacks from Matt Ryan's MVP year to last year with Jared Goff for that. And then now he's basically with the Titans. I think what you're seeing is kind of that trend of what there are offensive play callers to be found in the NFL. There's offenses that you can find. Even you look at the Bucks this year, their offenses exploded with new play callers. There's offensive coordinators and play calls to be had. It's not like you need need to have an offensive head coach. What you need is to be able to have an adaptable and a consistent defensive guy who can fit with that offensive mind if that person isn't your head coach. And right now I've reached the point where I don't know if we can consider that with Steve Wilkes because what Wilkes is bringing to the table is clearly nothing on offense with any type of adjustments whatsoever. And he doesn't seem big on defensive adjustments either when you're looking at how the running game is just not being able to get stopped. And so I think for me personally, I think we're going to have to see some major changes because for me right now, I kind of would put Wilkes into the show me something category or you're not coming back. And it sucks to say because, you know, you'd think that he'd be back for year two. But right now at this point, John, like, where do we even stand? Like right now, I feel like he'll have to show consistent defensive improvement, maybe even more just to make up for some of that aspect where if you're an average defense by the end of the year, I feel like I'm going to need to see something more from Steve Wilkes because there's going to be a lot of these offensive coaches who are going to be available. There's going to be a lot of these play callers who are going to be available, even if it's not Byron Leftwich. And I think you're going to have to evaluate is what Steve Wilkes and he's shaping and creating is this kind of the right decision, the right choice for the Arizona Cardinals? And for me right now, I, I think until we can see otherwise, I, I really can't get on I really can't get on board with that right now. I mean, I'm not seeing the changes or the adaptations that I feel like I need to see. And that's even with the defense missing tackles, having plays, um, not putting guys in the right spot. Although I do want to make a shout out for Corey Peters for basically not being asked to penetrate or to kind of go through, but just consistently holding down the defense. He's been kind of an unsung hero there, allowing guys like Kandit or Rodney Gunter to work but uh, John I'm just kind of at a loss as far as for that feels like this is kind of the tipping point of until we start seeing these changes this is more of what we get then I don't know how you can bring Wilkes back for year two wow that's that's blunt statements from you Blake uh and I'm again, not one to make blunt statements yeah <laughs> absolutely focus, usually that's the rest me. of the year uh, and go and see it <laughs> yeah I well here I am saying that that I think Steve Kime is uh you know isn't reactionary but at the same time admits his mistakes and moves on and Steve Kime is not going anywhere. He just signed a three-year extension and had a hell of a draft in April uh, to fire Steve Wilkes after one season would be shocking. I think for this franchise, I think that they've been mm-hmm. uh, characteristically um, pretty content. Uh, they like to take the wait and see approach. I think they believe in Steve Wilkes, the person, 
But again, it comes down to, do you believe that he is an elite head coach or potentially can lead this team to a Super Bowl? Because right now you're in a tough pot spot because you've got a franchise quarterback who's going to be on a rookie deal and Steve Kime's going to do his best to put together a Super Bowl contending roster in the next two to three years. You got to have the right coach in place. You got to have a Sean McVay in place. You got to have somebody like that that the Cardinals can say, okay, we've taken care of, you know, Steve Kime can say, I've taken care of my end. You know, we think Rosen's going to be great. You know, Steve Wilkes, can you do this? And if he can't, then he shouldn't be the head coach. I don't think, though, he will lose his position, again, outside of some kind of altercation or blow up in the locker room, that kind of thing where you start to hear reports and leaks that, you know, he has no internal support, which, again, I I don't think would ever happen with Larry Fitzgerald in the locker room. I could be wrong, but I think Larry is the kind of human being that wouldn't allow that to happen. Um, So, again, I I don't foresee it unless they're just – completely incompetent at the end of the year they're getting blown out the you know the first four games look like the last four games uh that kind of thing uh i think we'll, we'll see major coaching changes uh if they continue to struggle that should be in terms of uh assistance that should be a no-brainer but you know for wilkes to get fired man that would be uh that would be a it would be a different move but again Let's say that you know Jim Harbaugh is available or somebody like that, that that Steve Kime thinks he could potentially get to pair with Josh Rosen. And I know not everybody loves that name, but I'm just I'm talking somebody like that or the you know the head coach at Oklahoma who's one of the most innovative offensive minds in the country, uh, Lincoln Riley. A lot of people think he is a top ten coach. Period. Uh, walking the planet, specifically on the offensive side of things. I mean, like. If you're able to go and hit a Hail Mary like that, mm-hmm. you know, who am I to say that Steve Wilkes should be the head coach of this team? I just – I like him as a human being, and I I, got, I just I can't stress this enough. I want him to do well, not just because he's the head coach of my favorite team. I, I think I, I he's generally easy to root for. Like, I'm not sure Pat Shermer is an easy guy to root for at this point in time. Uh, but really, Steve Wilkes – is 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 one of those people and so I want him to do well and I hope in a month from now you know we're having a conversation about the Cardinals putting together some kind of a run uh, of success but again if if people want to this is what it comes down to if if coaches view this job and they should as a destination job in terms of you know location for their family check I think the division is not nearly as competitive as people think you've got a franchise quarterback in place and I think that you're going to have a much improved roster at the end of the season, and you're going to have a ton of cap space. I mean, that's going to be appealing for a lot of people, just like John Gruden, which has turned out to be a disaster, uh, yeah. found Oakland's situation uh, promising. I know he had a history there. Young franchise quarterback and a lot of things working for them uh, going into this upcoming season. So, you know, I, I think there's probably like a 10% chance that it happens, but it could happen. And uh, if he doesn't adapt, he probably should lose his job. Yeah, that's the big question is going to be, what's it going to kind of take at least for them to like it? Like what we talked about was, yeah, this is not an 0-16 team, and I'm glad that the Cardinals did get a win because I – Absolutely. No one wants to have their team go through that, and I felt this team did better than that, and I felt like you also wanted to get at least some type of early payoff, at least for Josh Rosen. You didn't want to have to go through a Jared Goff-type season where you end on a a terrible losing streak, and we'll see if the Cardinals' schedule is not 
going to be favorable to them at all. They're going to basically, after they come out of that game against the uh, Chiefs and the Raiders, they're going to basically be playing Phillip Rivers, the Green Bay Packers on the road at Lambeau. you got a game against the Lions. Who it's, we'll see exactly how it goes for the most part with how the Lions team is, but then you just finish with that trifecta of the Falcons offense, the Rams offense, and then on the road in Seattle. Cardinals usually play well. It would not surprise me if they do play well again and end up perhaps you can win that game if you've built up enough momentum. But if you end up seeing them just kind of dropping more of these different games and you start talking about a two and thirteen a two and fourteen or a three and thirteen season. And that's why I had to look up historically of like who are some of the different one and done coaches that were there. You talk about with like Lou Holtz at three and thirteen. Uh, you look at even Pete Carroll with the Jets at least for that one where they lost their final five games and the team had to move on. Um, you even look at recent years of five and eleven with Jim Tom Sula it's interesting because it's not really the type of record. Sometimes there's areas of like, you think of Bobby Petrino with Michael Vick, where he went to prison. At least sometimes it's just the, yeah, you had just complete collapse overall, but a lot of them are these three and 13, four and 12 teams, or just like even Mike Malarkey finished 29th in offense, 30th in points for that one. And they gave him his walking papers. The team was two and 14 under his watch. That's the kind of area where you're talking about the Cardinals offense right now is worse. The Cardinals offense right now is 32nd and 32nd, basically. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. So you're looking at, you do need to basically let go of, you know, just to be able to get a chance with that one with Mike McCoy. And after that, if you still see some of those different struggles with that, I think that's going to be kind of where it's going to be the the true kind of testing field for Steve Wilkes kind of going in and looking in because we've never seen, we've never had this type of this type of aspect at least that Michael Bidwell's had to go through. We've never, we haven't really since I believe the, um, uh, not since the, well, it wasn't Levy Smith. It was that he was with the bears. You haven't seen since the Dennis green era that they've actually fired a coordinator mid season. You're having to get to that area again. Cause that's how bad it is. We haven't really seen any type of firing outside of that five and 11 wisdom hunt area where he'd already been with the team six or so years. Didn't have a quarterback. I do wonder if the Cardinals, if they had known they would have gotten Josh Rosen, perhaps they would have gotten a more offensive-minded coach, but them going into the draft believing we're not going to be able to land a top quarterback. We have to win games with defense and a veteran quarterback like Sam Bradford and figure out where we go from there. I wonder if that's an area that maybe things changed a little bit for them if they would have made some other different decisions based on what their plan was. But anyway, uh, we're getting late back over here on earn. So, John, let's wrap it up. Let's get some predictions for the Vikings game as we close it out tonight here on the Bird Game Blitz. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Yes, let's get some predictions. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm going to go ahead and just predict that the Vikings, if you're looking at how they've scored for points to start the year, outside of the Bills game, which unless the, if they have one of those games, I'll be floored because it hopefully mean that Josh Rosen goes off. But you look at what they've done at least this year, and they've scored at least, I believe, um, 20 points in every game this year, I believe. They 
scored 24 against the Niners, the Packers scored 31 against the Rams. Only game they didn't was against the Bills defense with that one. So I would take the Vikings at least to score probably 29. And I would give the Cardinals just because of their offensive struggling. I don't know if the matchup is great. I don't know if I can give them more than 17 points. I'd love to see an interception return for a touchdown of Kirk Cousins if you can get pressure on them with that bad offensive line. But I do think that John Filippo is going to be too – too much of an adapting I think the offense maybe takes a little bit more of a step forward part of that might be just out of pressure part of that might just be out of just I think that this is going to be a game where Rosen at least is still going to do maybe a little more in it would not surprise me if this ends up being a blow but I'm going to go with uh 29 to 17 Vikings this is just a team I don't believe the Cardinals can be unless they have a complete collapse like they did against the Bills well, first of all, I think I, I need a little bit of credit because I predicted the Cardinals would win last weekend. And I <laughs> also said true. Christian this Kirk would have a big game, and he did. So I'm for the sake of my prediction here, I, I hope I'm not two for two. But I, I think the Cardinals get whomped in this game, unfortunately. I think the Vikings have their mojo back. Uh, I think that it's something to the effect of maybe like 40 to 13. I'm – uber concerned about Josh Rosen and that pass protection, not so much Rosen against the Viking defense, but just the pass protection. I'm worried that this is the game that protection really breaks down after being pretty steady for the first couple weeks of the season uh, outside of some pressures. Um, You know, I'd love to see him put together, you know, a string of, of really nice scoring drives. And again, wins and losses. uh, It's kind of sacrilegious to say this, but, don't matter that much to me right now, considering where the Cardinals are going to be in the off season. You'd love to have that higher draft pick. I just want to see Rosen come out and sling it and have that big 300 yard game with multiple TDs that he was robbed of two weeks ago. I think that he got a little bit of some happy feet. Uh, we didn't really touch on too much of his performance, but I do think he plays better this week. I think he buckles down. I hope, I hope he has a big game, uh, but I just, I'm just, concerned about that Vikings home crowd, which is always difficult. So uh, on the record, I'll say 40 to 13 Vikings. And I think that would be enough to really kind of ignite those Mike McCoy talks if they haven't started already internally for the Cardinal front office and basically say like, what are we doing guys? Yeah, especially if that ends up being the case where you go into Thursday night football, if you have another loss there and you're staring one and six in the face, at least as you're heading in, that would be the case. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, I know we had a couple questions, at least with our Bird Gang mailbag. Most of those we actually, I, I just did a quick check, we did address throughout that one. Um, one of the ones that was quite, like about move for a wide receiver was obviously we had a signing for Kendall Wright earlier this week. Uh, the biggest thing I think that we can kind of end on tonight is, is this going to be Larry Fitzgerald's last year and I think this for me is why I think you need to get Byron Leftwich in there as soon as you can just to basically say all right let's evaluate where we're at with Larry he'll get a lot of time to rest are we going to be able to see him and have a connection with Rosen kind of moving forward Uh, John what do you think is this going to be kind of like the last that we're going to see because I got to say this is tough to watch Fitz go out there and have kind of a a 500 yard two or three catch a game season at least if this is going to be it for him yeah and I think that if if that takes place I think he will hang it up I think his hope was keeping his options open uh, just to see how the development of Rosen goes. And look, he's still going to do that. We're only five games into the season. But right now with the trajectory of this offense, with the ineptitude of Mike McCoy, you could make an argument that McCoy is kind of sabotaging the end of Larry Fitzgerald's career. You could absolutely say that. Um, But I also think that uh, the sooner Christian Kirk can kind of dominate that slot receiver position for the Cardinals, 
and they can get some young established outside receivers probably for the best. Uh, as much as I want Larry to be a part of this next core, sometimes you have to make the tough decisions and, and you have to walk away. And if Larry is not capable of producing, and we know he is, but if he can't showcase that he's capable of producing a thousand yards, the price tag for him is just too high and the Cardinals will be best served spending that money elsewhere on the offensive line uh, on potentially an upgrade at the tight end position defensively, their defensive line, their front seven is not very good. So again, who are the individuals that, that are going to be around long-term four or five years that are going to help this franchise compete for a championship? It's sad to say, but I it's just not going to be Larry Fitzgerald. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's not a lot of optimism, at least at this current point in the season, if you're a Cardinals fan, um, a lot of optimism with some of the young players and the core moving forward. This is just the beginning, obviously, of this next generation of the Arizona Cardinals. I know John and I, we talked a lot about sometimes you got to go through one of these tough rebuilding seasons to get to the good stuff. So we'll be there for all of that on the Bird Gang Blitz for that one. Uh, we'll wrap it up tonight. Make sure you follow us and subscribe on iTunes. I'll be working on getting the podcast up as soon as we can, at least for tonight. Just we got some news. I know the Cardinals having business-related, not sports-related news tomorrow. Otherwise, We wish it was sports-related because we know yeah. – and I feel like that would take place. That would take place on a Monday, right? That's not going to take place on a on a Wednesday. Yep, or like a Friday news dump after a certain Thursday night football game, maybe would seem to make a whole lot of sense. Um, but yes, anyway, sir. yeah. So make sure you follow us. We're also there, of course, on Stitcher Radio with all of those podcasts with as well. Um, be sure you tune in, uh, John. Where can they find you on Twitter? I am at Johnny's Football, J O H N N Y S Football. Blake, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at Blake Murphy 7 also writing on Revenge of the Birds. I'm kind of compiling just what the Cardinals facing the Vikings this week. A lot of the process leading up to, especially while they were looking into a guy like DiFilippo, and you can kind of find me morning retweeting some of the great play calls that he has for some of the touchdowns at least. Yeah, with salt in the wound some of these. Yeah, I know. That's going to be a little bit tougher for some fans to be able to, uh, to kind of stomach, at least for this week, if the Vikings go off. But thanks for joining in, as always. We'll talk to you guys next time, and go Cards! Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Forecast. It's not Voltron.